G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Foundations. The apostles called themselves the Dulos Christos. They were the slaves of Christ. And Dr. John MacArthur's got a great book out, it's called Slave, and he goes on to show that all the places in the New Testament that have been translated as servant are actually slave. Foundations. Understanding the Jewish foundations of our Christian faith. With Robbo Robinson and Mandy Warby. There is always so much to learn about the sacrifice of Jesus and what he achieved for us when he died on the cross. We celebrate his death and resurrection at Easter, but today we're going to have a look at a much overlooked line Mm -hmm. in Isaiah 53, a chapter that gives us a detailed look at the Messiah and his crucifixion. Yeah, we uh, there's a lot of um, passages in the Bible that we kind of go, yeah, that this is describing the crucifixion or uh, this is telling of the, the price that he paid and the sacrifice of his blood and the breaking of his body, and all of those things. And we, we know that one of the most um, detailed or descriptive uh, chapters in the Bible regarding the sacrifice of the Messiah is Isaiah 53. Mm. And most people are aware of that. And um, uh, in verses uh, 6 and 7 of Isaiah 53, this is very familiar to us. It says, like all of us, like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he didn't open up his mouth. Like a lamb that's led to the slaughter and like a sheep that's silent before its shearers, so he didn't open his mouth. And we go, yep, I know that. I've heard that many, many times. That's Jesus. Mm. No, no question there. It's a very graphic imagery. But then if you read a little further down in verses 11 to 12, there's this prophecy about the servant that's described in Isaiah 53 uh, having victory over death and then the ultimate Redemption of sinners. And it says this, As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. You know, that's a prophecy of his resurrection. If he dies for the sins of the people, how could he see it and be satisfied? Mm. So this is a prophecy of his of his resurrection. And by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, this is a very tricky line, this one, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death, and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. And we go, yep, he's interceding, and he bore the sin of many, but what does that lines mean that says, therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong? Well, there are many scholars who think that this particular translation into the English is incorrect. There is a Jewish translation or Jewish publication society. They have translated a little bit differently. And then the reason why that's important is that if the Messiah was to take on the transgressions of all the people, bear the burden, come back to life after having paid for their redemption, would he simply just be counted among the many? Mm. Would he just get a portion of the reward? Yeah. That just makes him equal with other strong ones. Yet we know Messiah is preeminent. 
he's not just equal. Okay, the um, the JPS version, the Jewish Publication Society, this is how they translate directly from the Hebrew. Assuredly, I will give him the many as his portion, and he shall receive the multitude as his spoil. Mm. So it's very, that, very a, different. Yeah, very different to slant on it, isn't it? It is. He is preeminent in this. He's not equal to, and he doesn't get a portion of a reward. He gets the lot. Yeah. But it's not just talking about any reward. It's talking about the people. But is that even what we would consider to be biblical? Well, I guess you've got the, the question of slavery then. you know, Does he own a nation or does he own a people? So you've got to wonder, is that a biblical principle? Exactly. Is that a biblical principle that, that he would own or have possession of human beings? Mm. Well, glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> because I want to read to you a portion from it's Psalm um, 2. One of my all-time favorite psalms, this one. It's a messianic psalm. And in Psalm 2, verses 6 and 8, God is speaking, and this is what he says. But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. And he said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. So if God is saying to his only begotten son, his servant, Ask of me, I'm going to give you the nations as an inheritance and it's going to be your possession. Mm. You're going to own them. If you marry that with Isaiah 53 and that particular line about is it an allotment with the many mm. and accounted with the great or is it ownership of? And if you marry that verse with Psalm 2, mm. you kind of go, these are confirming one another. That's it makes right, a yeah. lot more sense. It, it certainly does line up uh, much more closely in that respect. It really does. And the other thing you touched on it you was very it's a very touchy subject because we look at the issue of slavery in the ancient times in many other cultures and it was brutal it was horrible and then if you look at what's going on in slavery today and it's abhorrent and yet what was it that the apostles often called themselves they called themselves the Dulos Christos. They were the slaves of Christ. In fact, if you do some research, actually, Dr. John MacArthur's got a great book out. It's called Slave. And he goes on to show that all the places in the New Testament that have been translated as servant are actually slave. Wow. The translators put it as servant because slave has such a bad connotation mm. attached to it. But when you consider all of these Old Testament references that we're talking about, particularly in, in light of Isaiah 53 and then Psalm 2, Acts 20:27, 20, it's what Jesus is, is said there to have purchased us. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Mm, that's right. So the idea of slavery or being owned by God may be abhorrent, but then who's our master? Mm. And do, who do we compare him to? Well, he's certainly, you can't compare him to a human slave master. We're talking about God and what is God's attitude toward his people? What did he do on yeah. behalf of his people? Go yeah. back to Isaiah 53 and read through that chapter about what he has done Mm. for his people dying in their place. And then we go, but I don't like the idea of being owned. Well, I would put it to you this way, that before you come to faith in Christ and become a slave of Christ, 
you were already a slave to sin and a slave to the devil. Mm. As human fallen creatures, we have actually never been free. Yeah, that's right. We have been enslaved to either sin and Satan or to Christ and freedom. Mm. How do you even (laughs) take your pick? Which one's it going to be? Well, interestingly, Paul talks about being a bond servant or a bond slave, and that's where I guess it's a free choice to say, I want to be a slave of Christ. And that's where I guess there's a little bit of difference between being a slave to sin, because it is just we're born into that. We have no choice. But we can choose to be a bond slave to Christ. Absolutely. And again, that bond slave, there was even the description of that in the Old Covenant where it says that when the slaves were to be set free according to Jewish law, but if that slave is loves his master because his master is so good, he can he can indenture himself to mm. his to that master for the rest of his life. That's a, a bond slave is a love slave because the master was so good. Why would he want to go away from yeah. that? But I would close with this, and that is every time that we celebrate the death and resurrection of Christ, whether it's during the Passion Week of Easter, whether we're remembering it, you know, when it's the Passover feast, whether it's every week during communion, it doesn't matter. There is a description of him in Revelation. There's a whole passage there of Revelation 5 right through to verse 12, but I just wanted to read just this one little passage. And it says this, Worthy are you to take the book and break the seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and you've made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. So the question that that tells us is that is he worth being a slave to Mm. after what he's done for us? He's worthy. And so being a slave of Christ is not something we should abhor or run away from. We should be embracing this and don't let go. It's a a good thought and a good study, and there is more that you can read about in this study in the notes. So I encourage you to jump online and grab those at vision.org.au slash foundations. On the next program, we're going to learn about stringing pearls, and it has nothing to do with jewellery. We'll find out more next time. This has been Foundations, a look at the Jewish foundations of our Christian faith. For study notes, resources and more, see vision.org.au slash foundations. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 